You know, as you've been knowing, I've been spending a lot of time just backing away from social media and fasting from all the news and the garbage and all the chaos that everybody's getting into on their social sites. And like I said every week, I'm just doing fine without not being on that. Without being on that, I'm doing okay. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm feeling refreshed. And so I've been spending a little more time in the Word of God, um, backing away from that and spending more time in the truth and the things that change lives. And you know, there's a scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says this, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, all scripture is inspired of God. Now, that word in other translations, and if you look at um, the translation of that word inspired, uh, the closest translation we can get to is God-breathed. So all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. So what does that mean? It's as if he spoke it. He did speak it. Even through the lives of people, he spoke through people, spoke through the prophets, spoke through men, spoke through the apostles that wrote these books and the people that wrote these books. They are God-breathed. And as a Christian, that's a staple that we need to understand. We need to understand that the word of God is God-breathed, that all scripture is God-breathed. And why is that so important? It's because we need a standard. You know, we see all this stuff going on and people are like, well, I believe this should happen and I believe this should happen and I believe this should happen. Well, I believe a lot of things too, but when what really matters is when I open the book and go, what does God say? What does God say about situations? What does God say about our situation? What does God say about health? What does God say about victory? What does God say about us in this world? What does God say about marriage? What does God say about sexuality? What does God say about it? And when the book is opened... Because Jesus is the word of God. When we open that book and we stand there and go, this is the truth. Every devil has to do this. Or they have to curtsy whatever they're doing. Right? Jesus is the living word of God. And so it is inspired, it is God-breathed, and it's Christian staple. And his words are eternal. That's the wonderful thing about the word of God. His words are eternal. They're not dead. They're not letter, the Bible says, in ink, but they are speared in their life. Like when God said light be, that's why the universe is expanding still at the rate of uh, the speed of light. It's just constantly expanding. Why? Because God's word is still in effect. And so when we read the book, we need to realize that this book is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Now, we might not always interpret it correctly, and we get our bents in our different ways, but the understanding is the way he entitled it to be, the the way he wanted it to be, when we read it, it is God-breathed. It's not as if God said it. God said it. Isn't that cool? His words are eternal. And so every once in a while when I think about that, I start to read the scripture in a different way. And what I mean by that is I I hang on every word. Because if every word is God-breathed, you know God probably doesn't just shoot the breeze? You know, he doesn't just, for lack of better words, BS with people. He is truth, right? And so when he says it, it is true. And he doesn't say anything by accident. So when we read the scripture, after I read a scripture like 2 Timothy 3.16, and I start to read scripture, every once in a while this reality hits me, and I just stop for a second and take a verse or two And I literally hang on to every word. And so one of the places that I stopped this week, and I thought, you know, our our services have been so different lately. Um, Just they've been intimate and wonderful. And I just thought I would just share today just what happened with me this week. And I'll give you an example of me stopping at a piece of scripture 
and hanging off of every word. Last week, um, or it might have been the week before, Lauren was talking, and he actually inspired me at something he said to get into the book of Philippians again. And so I went to Philippians, and when I got to chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 arrested me. And this is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. It says this, 12, 13. Therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now we hear the scripture a lot. A lot of times it's separated and it's, it's sometimes in context, sometimes out of context. But the ones we hear um, are usually this, that it's um, work, out your, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we often hear it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so when I hit these two scriptures together, I was just stopped and literally arrested by the situation. And right there in the first word, it says, therefore. Now, I'm just telling you what happens to me when I read the scripture. So therefore, I can't read therefore without understanding the therefore. And right before this is what we were just talking about at the end of worship. Right before the scripture, it discussed that Jesus humbled himself, came off the throne, came to earth, came into the form of man, humbled himself and then was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And it goes on to say, because of this, and in this, every knee shall bow. In the heavens, in the earth, and under the earth, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And then it goes into this scripture, therefore, because of that, because of that, therefore, my beloved, as you have always believed. And so therefore, because Jesus is is, is above everything, you can just leave that scripture up the whole time, Terry. Therefore, Because Jesus is above every name, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So if God's speaking every word of this, I'm like, therefore, okay, where does the therefore come from? And then my beloved, that's awesome. Paul loves his church. As you have always obeyed. Obeyed what? Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. Now, we're talking about Paul. We're talking about the Apostle Paul, who was the Hebrew of Hebrews. That's what he said. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day. He did everything. He was about every single law, yet he counted it all as dung or all as poop. You don't want to say what farmers really say it is, but for a lack of a better word, he, Paul says, I counted it all as poo once he came to know the knowledge of Christ and his grace and his mercy. And so Paul was not about teaching these people just about the yes and the no's and the letters of the laws and you must do this and this will happen and if you don't do that, that's going to happen. He's not talking about that. Paul says, as you've always obeyed, obeyed what? Obeyed the gospel, the gospel of Christ. What is that? Knowing that Jesus is the name above every name and that every tongue is going to confess and every knee shall bow to him, obeying him. What did Jesus say? What laws did he bring? Well, he fulfilled the law and he said that anyone who is in Christ, he's a new creation and old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new that he took out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and wrote God's laws on our very hearts. So as you've obeyed what? Yes, Paul's teachings, I'm sure, as he was talking about what Jesus was like and what the gospel was like and how we're not to revert back to the law and how God has now made it personal that the name that is above every single name has now made his relationship personal with you as you've always obeyed that. His love, God, the greatest commandment. Jesus came and said, I give these new commandments to you that you love your brother, you love God, and you love your brother as yourself. 
And so he's saying, these commandments, as you've always obeyed. And so my mind goes, what are they obeying? Well, they're obeying Jesus. That name that's above every name, they're obeying Jesus. They're not just obeying what Paul says they should do and not do. And he goes on and says, it's not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now, I stopped there and I wondered, was Paul saying that they need too much more in his absence? Or were they saying that they were already doing it much more in his absence? And I came to the conclusion, maybe it was both. Without Paul there, they needed to obey. Who? Obey what? Jesus more in his absence. Why? Because Paul was gone. And Paul wasn't holding them so accountable anymore. But the good side of it was, Paul was also saying after he left, they were obeying Jesus more in his absence. And again, it goes back to this personal thing about Jesus being the name above every name that Paul realized he had done his job because they weren't just listening to Paul. They were obeying Jesus. Jesus they were obeying, not just Paul. And so Paul is celebrating. He's like, listen, you're obeying, not, in, not just as in my presence, but after I leave, I realize this stuff worked. I realize that you're obeying the king of kings when I'm not even present, which makes it real. What makes it realize that I have shared the gospel, you guys have received the gospel, and I may leave, but Christ doesn't just come with me. He stays in you. The hope of glory. And so Paul is saying, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence? How much more in my absence? I feel like there's this I'm proud of you moment right here that you've obeyed after I left, that it wasn't just about me and and trying to to appease me. It was like you locked in with Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I had to stop here. God, what do you mean? Every word you breathe this. And so Paul is telling the Philippians church that they're obeying even in his absence, which means they are hooked into Christ, which means they are getting revelation from God, which means they have realized there's no longer a need for a mediator, but they can talk to to Father God through Christ one-on-one. And he goes on to say, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, first of all, I have to ask, okay, God, what are you saying here? Work out your own salvation. Are you talking about the church as a whole in Philippi? Or are you talking about each individual? And again, it probably comes down to both. God has a way of just saying something, and it just means everything at the same time. And that's cool about God. And so work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, probably talking about the church. How is the church going to function in that arena? How are you going to do? And obviously, I'm gone, but you're going to have to figure it out. And guess what? You can figure it out. Why? Because you belong to Christ, who's living, who's alive, who will speak to his church about what his church should do guaranteed that was on the first level what he was talking about but he was also talking about on an individual level working out their own salvation in fear and trembling and i love that he said own own salvation working out their own salvation did you know that that's our job that we're to work out our own salvation our own our own you know what that means is nobody else can work out your salvation Nobody can. No matter how much people want to work out your salvation, no matter how much we want to work out somebody else's salvation, and we sometimes think we do a better job at pointing and showing how people should work out their salvation. Right? He's saying, listen, I backed out of here and you still heard Jesus when I left. Now work out your own salvation as a church and individually. Why? Because you were all connected to him on a personal level. He wasn't saying for them to separate and not listen to each other. He was just realizing that God works out salvation 
in individuals individually. We might get mad at the way someone does something and we're like, oh, I can't believe they're a Christian and still do that. But we don't know where they came from. We don't know where they came from, right? They're saying SH, well, little did you know they used to drop the F-bomb 20 times a day last week. You know what I'm saying? We don't know, right? And so we tend to want to work other people's salvation out for them. And then we get mad when people want to work out our salvation. But the fact is, is we are to work out our own salvation. Our own. And it says in fear and trembling. Now, this is a scripture that's been used, misused so many times too, just to scare people. It's been like, you better do good. That's other people working out your salvation. You better do this, because the Bible says you better do it in fear and trembling. Well, you're trying to work someone else's salvation out. When really the interpretation of the scripture is work out your own salvation in reverence and weakness. So fear means reverence or respect to God. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a conscience about this. We should. When we disobey God and we disobey the voice of God and we disobey the word of God, what Jesus tells us to do, or we disobey our conscience when we know Jesus is trying to lead us down a certain direction and we just go the other way, and we do that lots. I mean, let's just face it. We do it a lot. We do it. We've done it a bunch of times this week where we feel like we know we shouldn't do it and we do it anyways, right? Or we know we shouldn't say something and we say it anyways. And you're about to say something to somebody or your spouse or whatever, and you get that Holy Ghost check and you go, I shouldn't say this, and we just do it anyways. And we pay the price for it, right? But we should have a conscience about that. If Christ is saying, shut up, this isn't going to bid well, we should have a conscience about it later. We should be like, Jesus, you're my master, and I felt you say, whoa, and I didn't whoa. It's okay to feel that way. But then fear and trembling, and trembling can be translated a few different ways, but one author I was reading said it, it translates nicely as weakness too. Fear, respect, and weakness. Which means we understand that without Christ, none of this is possible. And so when we start working out other people's salvation and getting all high on our pedestal, we need to realize that we need to humbly go about our lives. Why? Because there is nothing that happens in our life that is good that is not God. Nothing. And sometimes there's nothing. And we don't always understand God's goodness. The Bible says he reigns and shines his sun on the just and the unjust. There's common grace that people get to experience of God. And that's why so many people are going to be the guilty at the end of this, because Romans 1 says, how dare you look at creation and not realize that God loves you, right? And so we work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling, in weakness, understanding it is Jesus, the name above every name, that walks us through these things. I've been on this journey lately, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but I remember things I did like 10, 15 years ago, and they're bugging me. And I find myself all the time going, you were such an idiot. But I thought I was so smart in the moment. And these are the things I really believe God's bringing up to me, not for condemnation, but the reality of, I can think I'm so right and later, later realize I'm so wrong. Anybody ever been there? Where it's like, you think you're so right in the moment, you're so passionate about it, and you do something, and later on, you realize you're so wrong. And these little things are bubbling up to me as I'm laying in bed at night, and I find myself going, you are an idiot. Not in a bad, like, condemning way. I'm just like, you were an idiot or whatever. But I realize God is showing me that I can think something is so right and be so wrong. And that really humbles me and puts me in a place of weakness. Because I realize 
I better be cautious about how adamant I am about things and how adamant I am about people's lives and their direction they're heading and all that kind of... I better be careful because it's one thing dealing with stuff, but when you're dealing with people, it's like, that's why love is always the key because love is always the factor that trumps everything, right? So work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling our own salvation, personal relationship, because we can't do it for someone else. It's like even with our kids, right? It's like our responsibility is to train them up in the ways of the Lord, no question. But our goal is to have them hear Jesus. That's the goal. It's for them to not be reliant on me, but to be reliant on Christ. That's the goal. Because one day I'm going to be gone, or one day they're going to, you know, people all go through different seasons of life, and I know some of you, have kids have left at different times and seasons, and it wasn't a good thing for you. But I tell you something. It's like if you've taught them to hear Jesus, you might not be able to get them on their cell phone, or they might not be listening to you. But I guarantee you when they lay their heads down at night, and they're drunk as a skunk, because I've been there before I knew Christ, I would pray myself to sleep every night drunker than a skunk in my bedroom. Why? Because I knew, and somebody must have been praying for me. And I know a few people that were. I had a little Catholic lady that my name was in her book, and I was offended when I first found that out when I was a young adult. But I was hanging out with her boy, and I wonder why my name was in her book. Yeah, God is so good. But that's our job, you know? I remember one time I was hearing about this guy in, in uh, Australia in the outback, and he was leading all these people to Christ. And I saw a picture of him, and he had this big cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And it just didn't add up the picture to me. And then I thought, who am I? He's leading more people to Christ in one day with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. You know what I mean? We all have our stupid perceptions, right? And sometimes it's just cultural and where you're from and all these things work out our own salvation. In fear and trembling, reverence and respect of God, healthy respect of God. And then it goes on to say, for it is God who works in you. you put that back up. It's Philippians 2.1. So the last half, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now God spoke every word of this. And so first of all, it tells us to work out our own salvation. And then it says, for it is God who works in you. So I look at that and I go, well, who's doing the working? But when you look up work in the Bible, it's very interesting. There's a few places in the Bible that it tells us to labor. It tells us to work. But in all those instances, it tells us to labor to get into a rest, to work to believe, to work the work to believe. And so our job is to believe his work. We're talking about the Jesus. Remember the therefore? The name above every name that every tongue's going to confess and every knee shall bow. The one that defeated death, hell, and the grave and rose to the right hand of the Father and now we're seated with him in heavenly places. That one. All he's asking us to do is to obey his word and believe him that he's working in us. And so how do we stop that? Just in unbelief. That's only our only job is to just keep obeying the word the best we can and allowing him to do his work. That's it. That's it. Otherwise, the Bible tells us that it's a negative work. It's a work for good deeds. So we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I guarantee you this, okay? This is something that I will bet anybody on. 
I bet that you working on your salvation, I bet you God working you is better than you working on you. Right? Because I've done that lots. It doesn't turn out so good. But when I allow God to work on me, he does and he works in us. But I love this. Check this out. Every word's breathed by God. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Did you know that doing is not the end goal for God? Doing is just religion. Yes, sir, I'll do this. Yes, do this. That's the Old Testament. That's works. If I do this, if I do this, I'm going to make some brownie points with God and all this kind of stuff. But that's not the end goal for God. It's not. Doing it without the will is not the goal of God. He works in us both to will and to do. And this is something that I've been struggling with in my prayer life. Because as I've been meditating on this the last several days, I realize that there's some areas with God, I leave the will, my will out of it in my prayer life. Because somehow I, somehow I don't want to talk about all the negative wills I have with God. It's just like, I'll do better. And God's saying, I don't want you to just do better. How's that working out for you? Well, I figure out oh, my works aren't that good. I, I seem to come back into this scenario quite often when it's me doing it. And so God, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do better. And he's, he's like, no, uh, it's not about the do. I need to work in you both to will and to do. God has enough power in us to change our wills. Our wills. And we struggle with things and we're like, God, I'll do better. I'll try. I'll put all these boundaries around me. I'll put all these things around me and I'll do better. And God's saying, I don't want you to do better. I want to change your will. I want to take you to a place where you don't even want to. Or vice versa, the places and the people that we don't want to you know, share love with and stuff like that, he'll say, okay, I'll will you too. And so last few days in my prayer life, I'm like, God, I know why you've been waking me up in the middle of the night and showing me things where I thought I was so good at stuff and realizing later I was terrible at them. I'm sucking at this. Change my will so that when I do, it's out of my will. Not just to do it so I can go, God, see, I did it. I'm obeying you. No. New Testament's way beyond obedience. It's about being obedient to Christ. And Christ is not just the law. Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. Christ is life. He's life. And so I spend time in my prayer life and things have to change. And I'm like, honestly, I'm like putting the will part over here because I feel like it's too bad to bring to him. Just for the fact of like, I feel like I can do it, but I'm like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. And maybe you'll find yourself in prayer life in the same way as me in the next little while where it's like he starts knocking on some of the will areas and you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're getting too personal. And everything he knocks on, he does for his good pleasure. Why? Because he's in love with his creation. And everything he knocks on and wants change is for the benefit of not just, not just the scenario. It's for the whole kingdom and for us and our personal lives and the satisfaction and the only thing that give us pleasure in life, knowing that not only did we do it, we willed it. We willed it. You know, when I got saved second week away in 1994, there were so many things that radically changed in my life. And what I was so amazed of is there's something, there was a bunch of things that I just didn't want to do anymore. And it was so amazing to me. I gave my life to Christ. He came in and lived in, and all of a sudden there was this whole half of a man that just 
was shed off. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to do it anymore. And that was way more exciting to me than just not having to not be able to do it. All of a sudden, I didn't want to do it. And so I think about all these things lately that we get so uptight about and all the things in life. And it's true. God has a standard and all the sexuality and all the different things and all that kind of stuff. It's all true. But the most important thing we can do is connect people to God. Why? Because it is God who works in them both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I don't want people saying just, yes, sir, so I can hang around camp. I want them coming. Jesus changed my entire life and my will. Oh, I feel the presence of Jesus. Every last piece of us belongs to him. Body, soul, and spirit. And he is the master. I feel the presence of Jesus so mightily right now. You mind just shutting down with me for a moment, closing your eyes? And let's ask God to come into every corner of our lives. He's not coming in to condemn. He's coming in to fix. He's not saying, I can't believe you don't do that, or I can't believe you did that. He's saying, let me help you change your will in that area. My father, my father, my father, who lives in me, who knows everything about me, I thank you, my king. I thank you because it's all about Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It's because of Jesus that you live in us. You own us. You've bought and paid for us. So, Father, I invite you into every area of my life. Change my will, not just the do. Work in me both to will and to do for your good pleasure. I love you, my King. If there's anyone in this place this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you, do not let this moment pass. Not to scare you because you are missing the greatest thing. The creator of the universe loves you and wants to be a part of your life. And some of you may be so scared to hand over your will. He doesn't care about that. Jesus paid the price for every sin. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed sin from you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that God himself will remember no longer your sin and iniquity. But he wants in our lives so he can change us. If you're here this morning, I want to tell you something. There's only one thing that makes your life eternally bound to God and is accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not about being good. It's not about coming to church every week. It's not about giving money. It's not about a bunch of good acts. It's about simply saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. And when that takes place, the Bible says that his spirit, God himself will move in and his spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are his child. And if you're in here this morning, I encourage you, come to the Father in the name of Jesus. Declare that Jesus is your Lord and your life will be forever changed for the good. You'll belong to him. Father, we ask you to be in every arena of our lives. Change our wills. Work in us in every arena of our lives. Help us to trust you. We believe that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Isn't that good? He's so good. He's so good. Jesus, what a beautiful name.